Well, good morning. Good morning. If I haven't met you, and there's a bunch of people here who I don't know that I've met. My name is Ken DeLage. I serve as the senior pastor here. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Revelation that we have been in for quite some time. We are almost to the end, but we have nearly paused here at the end to savor the last few chapters together. Uh, so you're here on a great Sunday. Uh, open your Bible to Revelation 21. That's where we're going to be this morning. So I wonder, am I the only adult that... <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. No. <laughs> am I the only adult who still has nightmares? I don't have them all the time. It's not every day. But it's frequently enough for me to notice. Many times a month? Once a week? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't remember most of them. I think that's a grace that I can't remember most of them. But the majority seem to involve a bad guy, and I am running. That's the majority. Some kind of physical danger that I'm in, that I'm trying unsuccessfully over and over and over to get out of until I wake myself up somehow. It, it, I haven't faced that much trauma in my life, but something deep within fears it and plays it over and over in my mind. I can still remember a recurring nightmare I had as a kid. And this is bizarre that I can still remember it. I was young. Maybe maybe four, I don't know. And I had this nightmare over and over that I was being eaten by dinosaurs. Which is weird, because I had never met anyone who had been eaten by a dinosaur. Didn't matter. And I don't know what my parents were doing, teaching me about dinosaurs. As a three-year-old, if you wonder, you can talk to them. They're sitting right there. But... <laughs> I noticed that every one of my kids goes through this. I noticed that part of the fatherly training I have to do with the young boys and teaching them to take the trash out is at the age-appropriate time, teach, teaching them to take it out even if it's dark out. And that's a whole different step than just the work involved. There's a facing of fear that each one of them has within them. We didn't teach them to be afraid of the dark. They just knew to be afraid of the dark. And you know, as parents, you want to say things like there's nothing to be afraid of or everything's going to be okay. But is it? Is that even true? Can we even say that kind of thing as parents? Kids are afraid of the dark. Adults are afraid of the election. <laughs> parents are worried. Teens are anxious. This, this response that we all have to the world that we all live in, this world that is not safe, it's just not a safe world. And evil is real and dark evil is real. And some of you in here have known people who have faced dark evil. And some of you in here have had to face dark, evil, 
and I'm sorry. Because this world is not as it should be. And we're born wanting safety. And we're born wanting security. And we long for it. But from an earthly perspective, it can come and go around here. And I love how this book meets us right where we are. In this real world. In this broken world that we live in. And God speaks to us by his word. Oh, praise God that he speaks to us, promising things to us that matter. He promises life to us and peace to us and joy to us. And this morning, pertinently, he promises security, or I might say safety. He promises safety. We're in Revelation 21. This morning, it's the end of all things and the beginning of all things new. God is making all things new. He is revealing the final dwelling place between himself and his people, this new Jerusalem, this bride of Christ. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at it like a diamond and just been turning it and seeing one facet and then another and then another. Two weeks ago, we saw it as the holy city. And then last week, we saw it as the complete city. And this morning, it is the secure, or we might say safe, city. The secure city. Because our focus this morning is going to be considering the reality that even in the midst of the brokenness and the fear and the danger that we all face, God is our security. So read with me, if you will, follow along as I read Revelation 21. We're going to begin, as we did last time, in verse 9 and go through the end of the chapter again together. This is God's Word. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate. The fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, 
The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, Father, we ask now that you would speak to each one here by your word. And, Lord, not just intellectually, but speak to the deepest part of us that we would respond and be changed by what you say. We pray in your name. Amen. We have before us this morning the secure city. If ever there was a well-defended castle, this is it. It is a castle, a, a citadel, a stronghold. Look at the walls around this city. These massive, thick, high walls built on the foundations of the apostles. They're actually measured in verse 17. It says, he measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, 144 cubits, a cubit is the length from your elbow to your finger, all right? So, I, I suppose it depends on how long your arm is. I mean, that's the problem with some of the ancient measures, but it's not that different from a foot, is it, right? Okay. So they did the same thing back then. It's just different to us. It's roughly 220 feet. So, so that's a tall wall. Or maybe that's a thick wall. It didn't tell us, actually, which measurement it was. didn't tell us. But either way, it's either too high to climb or big enough to bring an army marching across the top of the wall to a point of concern. 220 feet, you could do more than 15 lanes of traffic side by side on top of the wall. That's big. You could get some troops where you need to get them. The wall then has 12 gates in it, and each gate is guarded. Verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. So each gate has its own angel keeping guard over this particular opening into the city. Remember, Remember when Adam and Eve fell, and so God stationed an angel at the entrance to the garden to keep sinners out of that place? Well, here they are again, and the purpose has happily changed. Now, no longer is it to keep people out of this sanctuary. It is to protect those who are within the sanctuary. And so we've got angelic vigilance keeping the city on all sides. We're seeing a city that is impregnable. No, no external force could possibly get through these outer defenses. But let's not forget where we are in the book. 
And maybe you're, you know, this is one of your first times here and you weren't here as we went through the book. We're near the end of the book and at this point, all the enemies are gone. So last chapter, Satan was utterly defeated, cast into the lake of fire where he will be tormented for all eternity. And he will torment no one else ever again. He is, in other words, no longer a threat at this point. And before that, in chapter 19 and 18, we saw the fall of all of his lieutenants, all of his minions that he had used to do his will, the, the beast of state power corrupted, the, the harlot Babylon, the false prophet of false religion. All of these had fallen and were defeated at the feet of Christ. And so, so it's kind of ironic what we're seeing about the city, right? We see the city coming down so well equipped, you could put it down in the midst of armies and they could do nothing against it. It's an impregnable city, yet it's coming down to earth and there are no armies to stand against it. She's well defended, but there's nothing to defend against at this point. So why the walls? <laughs> Why do, we, why do we have these, these walls here? Well, as it's been throughout the book of Revelation, this, this is a book of, of symbolism, right? So, so while we read this and we think about what this looks like, we're meant to do that, right? We're meant to, to think about what this looks like. But we're not meant to think of it as though this is going to be a photograph of the city, as then when we see it, this is what it will look like. No, what we're, what's being described is deeper than that. It's, being it, it's telling us what the city really is like. In other words, it's the essence, not the veneer of the city. Okay, So, so when we see the walls, what we're, what we're to see in that is utter security for the city. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a keeping of this place a protecting of this place. There is no danger here for the people that dwell therein. She is the secure city, the secure people of God, utterly beyond threat. Now consider the reality of, of just the way that light works in this city. We studied this a few weeks ago. I'll just go through some of the highlights. So this, this city is is nothing but light, it seems. Light, light pours through her. Verse 11 says it has the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel. And then down in verse 23, the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God gives its light. Its lamp is the lamb. So, so And then we've got all these different jewels and gems and you can just picture colors, and cascading iridescent light. And then the actual city, verse 18. The city was pure gold, clear as glass. We talked before, we've never seen gold that's clear as glass. The whole city is made of this? <laughs> so all of a sudden my brain just, I can't. I can't understand, I can't picture anything. What does a city made of glass look like? K 
Can you see the edges of the panes of glass? Because I don't know about you, I tend to see through glass. So I try to look at the city, I just see through it. Where, where is it? <laughs> but it's so iridescent, we wouldn't wonder where it is. Because it's just, it's, it'd be like wondering where the sun is as you try to look through the sun. It, it, it's, it's bright and brilliant. There's no, there's no place for shadow to turn and hide in this city. There's a different kind of security pictured with this. So to compare, let's talk about Chicago. Some smoke-filled room at the end of a long corridor of power where kingmakers meet and deals are struck and palms get greased and the sausage gets made. Not to mention the dark alleyways below where people are sold for some drugs or for some dollars. Intimidation. There's manipulation. And then, and then in places that look safe, when the doors get closed, they're not. Things that should be right as soon as there's a little bit of fog, a little bit of obscuring, things are going wrong behind the scenes. Corruption of kind of a Gotham city of darkness. Not just Chicago. It's every city man's ever built. Has darkness where there should be light danger where there should be safety. This is a city of light. There's no place for darkness. It can't, it can't exist anywhere. There's no back room. There's no smoke-filled place. No dark alleyway. It's all transparent. It's all above board. It's all right. It's all as it should be. It's all as you would hope that it would be. It's all that way. It's all perfect. You think of the ways that cities have problems within. There's no sedition growing some in some corner of this city. There's no malice hidden behind a smile. No corruption, polluting good intentions, bribes altering the outcome. See, the city that we're talking about here is safe not only from external threat, but from all internal threat as well. There's simply no darkness about it. There is no dangerous alleyway. There is no dangerous home. There is no danger. In this place. Glory to God. We're not done seeing the safety of the city. Verse 25 tells us more. Its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. The gates will never be shut by day. Never will an army array itself against this city. Never will a, a, a band of 
robbers or, or something like this stand against it. There, there will never in eternity be cause to shut the gates during the day. And there will be no night. No night. Never will darkness fall. Most who have experienced evil experienced it in darkness. This is why our kids are afraid of the dark. And there will be none of it there on that day. Praise God. Verse 27 hammers the point home finally. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. No evil, no falsehood, no danger, no lurking in the shadows. Endless day and endless security. Those of you who've never uh, faced traumatic evil may consider praying with me as I preach because we're trying to do a lot as we look at Revelation. Because evil can be traumatic. And many have really walked through it. And have been made to live without safety. And that's evil and wrong. And friend, I, I want to just gently address, if you have had to live without safety, God bless you. The day is coming when you will never have to face that again. Does that fix everything right now? No. Does that heal every scar? No. But knowing the last chapter can be awfully helpful as you live through this one. If you are in Christ, this is the last chapter. And glory to God, it is eternally safe. So I don't know if, I don't know if he will heal every scar on this side of eternity. But I know he will heal every scar on that side of eternity. And he will grant to all his people perfect safety. Glory to God. Okay, so, so far we've, we've kind of made our way through the applicable portions of the text that point us to the safety of this eternal city. And we, we may think that we've kind of found the important elements. It's guarded by angelic vigilance. It's got these walls and these gates and the light throughout it. But if we were to stop here, we would be missing the strength of this city. We would be missing the, the fountainhead of her security and stability and safety. Indeed, we missed the rock on which she's built. It is not the walls of God that keep this city safe. It is the God of the walls who keeps this city safe. It is the fact that this is where he dwells that his people 
are kept forever safe. It is the Lord mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord present to defend. He is the one who keeps the city safe. As David said in Psalm 18, David didn't look to armies or walls. He said this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Where was David's stronghold? His stronghold was his God. And so, are there angels at the gates? Yes, there are. But the, the city is not kept by angelic vigilance alone. It's not angelic vigilance. It's divine vigilance that keeps this city. He is her comfort. He her safety. He their security. So, so now we can get back maybe far enough from the symbols to see what's really happening. What are the walls and what are the gates and what are the, the angelic guards and, and all of these different aspects? These are, these are pictorial representations of the God who keeps his people. That's what this is. The, the, the city is kept not by walls, but by God. He is the one who keeps, he is the security and the safety of his people. Has it not always been so? If you look through the Old Testament, the safety of God's people is found in their God. If they're trusting Him, they're good. Nothing else matters. They don't have an army, no worries. God's got it. They don't have, a, they don't have city walls, no problem. They're up against the city that has walls. Don't worry, I'll knock them down. If their trust is in the Lord, they're fine. And God keeps them. They were told... Trust not in chariots or in horses, but in the name of the Lord your God. And so the people, vulnerable in their land with hostile nations all around them, would look to the Lord. And they, they had a temple they could look to. They could look to the temple and know that past the outer courts and past the gates, past the priests that were busy doing the offerings, and finally past the veil, kept everyone out of the holy place. Beyond the veil was the Holy One Himself who dwelt in the holy place. And their hope was in Him. In that temple, in that holy place, you know, God told them how to build it. If, you've, if you're still reading through the Bible, in your Bible reading plan, you're going to get there in a month or so. All the rules about how to build this particular room. If you go back and read about building this holy of holies, this holy place where God himself dwelt, there's, there's one thing that stands out about that. It is, a, it is a square room, and more significantly, it is a cubic room. Its length and width and height are all the same. It is the holy place, and God commanded that it be made in those dimensions. Why are you talking about this, Ken? 
Look back up at verse 16. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. He measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. There are only two things in the Bible shaped like this. The holy of holies in the temple and the final city of God. What are we to see by this? We are to see that the holy of holies confined to this relatively small room in the temple in the Old Testament is now the entire city in which God's people dwell. God's people dwell with Him. Face to face. Beyond the veil. Past the outer courts. In the very blazing presence of God Himself. Where is the safety of this city? The Lord their God is in their midst. That city is safe. Now, All the people dwelling in God's presence. And if you have any knowledge of God, then you know that the safest place for God's people to be is in His presence. And if you have any knowledge of God, you also know that the most dangerous place for God's people to be is in His presence. Because God's people are sinful and God is holy. And sin is not safe in the presence of holiness. So why did they have that temple? Yes, the temple was there because God was going to dwell with his people. Yes, it was there so that the people could be protected by God. But the temple was also there so the people could be protected from God. That's why the walls. That's why the courts. That's why the priests. That's why the veil. Protecting the people from the holiness within. The one whose holiness is a blazing fire. See, up to now in this passage, in the message as we've been talking, we've been talking about danger. The dangers that we all face. The longing that we have for safety and security. But we have neglected one. And I can say with I'll say kind boldness, no matter what you face, this is the greatest danger that you have ever faced. And that is the fact that you are a sinner and that God is holy. That is the greatest danger anyone has ever, will ever, could ever face. So as we, talk, as we begin to talk about Danger and God meeting us in danger and giving us safety. He's not content to start at the edges. He's going to start right here at the center. And he's going to address this most dangerous thing first. Sin is a danger because holiness is real. Sin is a danger because it separates us from God and positions us rather than being the objects of his favor, being the objects of his right just wrath, the punishment that sin deserves. So we've got two dangers that we are considering then. The dangers you and I face, and these are real, from the sin of others against us. 
And then we also face the danger from the sin of us. And the way that impacts our relationship with God. Sin of others. Sin of us. And I'm here to tell you. Christ came to rescue us from both. That is wonderful. Did you know the gospel lands in the real world? He came to rescue us from both dangers. I want you to look afresh at the gospel this morning. So you're not blinded by over-familiarity with the good news of Christ's death for sinners. I'm not highlighting so much the reality that he came as Savior for sinners. I'm highlighting the reality that he came as rescuer for the endangered. Are we all sinners? Yes. But friends, there's a danger God's people face. Many, most, danger from without and danger from within. And our Lord perceived that danger. He sees his people in danger. Does he pay attention? Does he notice? Does he do anything? Does he notice? Off the throne he got. And he clothed himself, not in power as we might expect, but in weakness. That he could go face danger and receive danger and be on the receiving end of human sin and divine wrath all at once. Both dangers. Both. The abuse of others and the just wrath of God. Both of them he took upon himself on that cross. What kind of divine love is that? And now, God having suffered on behalf of sinners, suffered by walking through what he walked through. Will he now, having done that, sort of stop partway? Like, like consider how he began. <laughs> the, 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 the hard work, if we can say something like this, the hard work for God, okay? I understand that's a strange phrase. The hard work for God is done. Everything else is gravy. He's got the rest. In other words, he's got you the rest of the way. So is he going to start by saving your soul and then fail to save you to the uttermost? No, he's not going to fail to save you to the uttermost. Our God is our security. It's why he went to the cross. So that he could transform from being the greatest danger we faced in his holiness to being the one place of ultimate, final, perfect, safe protection forever. In his presence now is fullness of joy. It is the joy of a safe people finally home. So, look again at that city, friends. That safety, that security. That's where history's going. And that is your future if you are in Christ. And I don't know your past. 
And I don't know how far he's going to have to bring you up to get you there. But he will not fail to do it. Our God is our security and refuge and protection. So have you been in danger? I had a friend uh, a while back who's uh, since moved, but and the danger he faced, the stories he would tell. I don't think he'll be the same on this side of eternity. But he came to Christ. And he's a lot different than he was. Glory to God. So there's nothing in this where I'm promising that God's going to fix every scar on this side of eternity. That's not in here. He doesn't promise that. But man, the end point sure is good. And it's for you. And it's for me. And it's meant to change how we interact with the broken world around us. So nothing I can say is going to make what you've walked through right. But God is already beginning to put what you walked through to right. That's what the end of the book does. It makes it all right in the end. Praise the Lord for that. So does that mean there's not going to be more dangers along the way? Uh, friends, no, that is not what that means. If you've been with us through the book of Revelation, you have seen some crazy things, some scary things. And, and these, are, these are not pictures of some, you know, end-time apocalyptic monsters. These are rather representations of the dangers God's people really face in this world. And they are many and they are truly dangerous and those will remain so long until christ returns and establishes his final victory but until that day man does he love us man does he love us he is going to keep us from today until that day do you see his love for you on the cross listen i know there are things you've walked through where it's very hard to discern the love of God. I don't have answers for all those questions. I can encourage you, shift your gaze to where you can see the love of God. And it is Christ's death on the cross for you. This is the love of God forever displayed as a banner. You can always see it. You can always look to it. The Lord shows his love for you on the cross. And he loves us. And so he's going to keep us. So though we're going to walk through dangers, though we're going to walk through a lack of safety, I don't think anybody's going to be eaten by dinosaurs. You might have to endure a dream about it now that I've told you about it, but God will be with you. There are still dangers in this world. But friends, we're on a highway to this city. This city is coming. This city is near. And you know what's neat about that highway? It's guarded. The Lord keeps the highway. He keeps the pilgrims along the way. He loves his people. And having called one to himself, he then gathers, guides, protects that pilgrim until that pilgrim is safely home. So you might have to face 
Physical threat, yes, maybe. Health difficulties, yes. Financial concerns, yes. All kinds of problems, yes. Are they going to pull you from Jesus? No. 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 We are kept by the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? Paul asked that question. Some of you smiling know the answer. Romans 8, what can separate us from him? Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, God is our security. We're not waiting till here. Here will be better. This will be better <laughs> than now. But we don't have to wait till then for Him to be our security. He is our security now. So church, trust your defender. Trust your keeper. Trust your fortress. Trust your rock and your stronghold. Trust that God is your defender. And may he enable us to do so until we see him face to face. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Worship team, come on up. Father, we pray together that, Lord, there, there's no one here that's not anxious about something, doesn't have something to be concerned about. So we lift, we lift our concerns to you. We lift up our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. So Lord, we, we cast our cares on you together. And Lord, we, we pray for those to our left and to our right, in front of us, behind us, who may be trying to cast much bigger cares than we are. Lord, would you enable each one here to cast all that they are scared of and fearful of and hurt by upon you. We are grateful that you are great enough for all of these things. And we look forward to the day when all of these things are but memories behind us. In Jesus' name, amen.